Ah, yes, friends. On a Thursday, it is OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where I'm your host, Adam Marmbrecht. That's my co-host. And this is co-host and co-host. It's like co co-managers, like the office used to do back in the day. Coming to you with that game preview for the big divisional matchup with the Dallas Cowboys. Andy, how are we, sir? The healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, you always ask me how I'm doing. Yeah. Adam, I, I want to turn it on to you. How are you doing on this Thursday? Well, I got to be honest with you, sir. I've been doing a lot of coverage over on the Locked On Nets podcast regarding <laughs> a certain superstar and his situation. So it's is been, that Daniel uh, Jones? Is are you talking about Daniel Jones? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about talking about uh, offensive player of the week. Daniel Jones is who we're speaking to. Uh, yeah, so it's um, you know, in the sports landscape, it's good for content and not necessarily good from a just a uh, a mental, you know, Men- mental yeah. comfort standpoint heading into the big season. But but Andy, I'm always well, and this is the difference between. I have two co-hosts on two podcasts. Both of those co-hosts have kids or kid. And uh, I, I think that that's the default where you always want to check in. Check in with those friends of yours that have children because that's that's a day-to-day. You don't know what's happening within a 12-hour swing. Things could get very different in a hurry. Yeah, you could be up at 4 a.m. Or you could have had a great morning like I did this morning making bre- uh, you know bacon and eggs for, uh, for my little guy. So, yeah. Adam... The reason why I also ask how you're doing is because we're coming off our first win of the season and it feels pretty good. Like Monday morning, waking up, it just, it hits a little bit different the whole week. You you have this optimism going into the next game. Everybody feels good. Daniel Jones gets named NFC offensive player of the week. So like there's a lot of good vibes going on. So I, I mean, are you starting to feel that momentum a little bit? Here's the beautiful thing about the New York football giants, right? Uh, I, I listen, I'm back on to the commitment to this season long train and trying to see this team get some wins and and maybe reinvigorate us, right? It was a bad start, but like we said last week, first win now on to the next new matchup. Um, the problem is over the course of the show, we'll be covering that matchup and some of those key, you know, spots that we want to look at on the offensive defensive side and also the injury piece of it, right? So we're going to get into that in a minute, which I think is is very, it's quintessential Giants, right? Give you a little taste of the good times, but also sprinkle in a, a nice little dusting over the top of, mm, are we going to be are we going to be able to do it more than once? Before we do get to it, though, um, in the last couple of episodes, you and I have talked about different players. Uh, we saw that Jalen Smith was released by the Dallas Cowboys, somewhat surprisingly, though, if you read into the details on it, essentially, they're, they're changing the way that they're approaching working that defense, and they have a lot of young talent there. You've got a guy that we talked about extensively on our bonus episode in Jamie Collins. What went on in that landscape there? As we, as we said, Giants need to improve on both sides of the ball whenever possible. It doesn't look like those are going to be some of the opportunities. Well, yeah, we'll start with Jamie Collins, who got released by Detroit, was kind of figuring out where he wanted to go. You know, he didn't seem like a good fit for the Giants when we have Blake Martinez in in the center. When Blake Martinez goes down with an injury, clearly it's it's a nice logical progression. You know, there's some ties from the Patriots. There's some ties from the Lions. And instead of like finding those ties, Jamie Collins just goes back to the source and goes for his third stint with the Patriots. So yeah, you kind of just say, okay, he's going back to the mothership. He's doing that. No help for the Giants. You then have Jalen Smith get released by the Cowboys. And for people outside of Dallas, everyone was kind of shocked. They're like, Jalen Smith, I remember him getting that contract after like two years and being up there with Jerry Jones. You know, you look at his stats, he was like second in the league in tackles. I think he had like 150 tackles last year. You're like, how on earth could they be letting this guy go? You know, I was talking to uh, one of my colleagues, Dave Hunter, big, 
big Cowboys fan. And he said, this one meme encapsulates everything about Jalen Smith. And it's from like last week. And it's Jalen Smith making a diving play on a, on a, a some, you know, a player trying to catch a ball. He's like 30 yards away from where the ball is. So it's like he's diving and giving you all of this effort, but essentially he's nowhere near the play. He overcommits on, on run plays, you know, fills gaps incorrectly and then turns himself around and like there's a 30 yard gain. So he got released and giant fans, every time a player gets released, inexplicably say, well, he should be a giant tomorrow. Get him in the building. This one kind of makes sense because we still have this hole from Blake Martinez but immediately the whispers came out that Jalen Smith was already talking with the Packers. He reached an agreement, I believe close to the veteran minimum because Dallas is still paying him the $7 million that he has owed this year. So all of these different pipe dreams of free agents that were coming and going, not going to be part of this giants team. And listen, and, that, and that's okay. Right. And I think to your point, right. Smith gets released and it's like, there's a difference between saying have to have them versus like nothing hurts about bringing the guy in the building, right? Getting a sense of them. And you mentioned kind of all of those things. A lot of people did highlight this idea of, yeah, some of the stat lines look really good. You can go over and look at, uh, you know, pro football focus where he's, he's been solid, some inconsistencies certainly, but a player that has athleticism. And in my mind, you could have used him in some of that, that pass coverage really out of the linebacker spot, right? Because he's built more in that mold than he is, as you said, run support, filling those gaps. But the biggest drawback on players like this is all that athleticism in the world coming out of college. And by the way, he looked good early as opposed to more recently in his career is at a certain point, if you're not bringing also the, the acumen to it, right? If you're not learning, if you're not progressing and understanding reading schemes and communicating, then it starts to look a little bit different. And, you know, when we talk about the Dallas Cowboys, we know what their defense has been over the last handful of years, right? So it's easy to ride with an athletic player and just say, hey, listen, he's flying all over the place. Maybe he's getting something done for you. But as a team starts to get better, unfortunately for the Giants, but as a defense gets better and you bring in some other talent, it becomes a lot easier to start to look at a player and say, boy, you know, we knew you weren't checking seven out of 10 boxes, but now it's becoming more glaring because of the talent that's there around you. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the only reason why Jalen Smith is not a cowboy today is because they signed Keanu Neal. Mm -hmm. Leighton Van Der Esch has been relatively healthy and Micah Parsons has been everything. And then some, yeah. and you know, they've started him in different positions, linebacker. Then they realized we, he's so athletic. They want him to get over on the edge and, and really start rushing the passer. But like that just meant there was no home for Jalen Smith. So why keep, keep a guy who's, who has a big cap hit. That's not really going to play. You may as well go out go ahead and release him. And to your point, not good for giant fans to hear that because when they were trotting him out and he was their best asset that they had we were like great he's going to over pursue over commit and saquon will probably break one for 60 yeah. now they're looking more for more formidable defense and we're going to get into the cowboys but kudos to their defensive coordinator dan quinn like they were abysmal last year and now all of a sudden like they actually look like a competent unit and all it took was like 12 months like yeah. one one free agent signing one change in a coach and bang like you have a whole new revamped defense yeah, and then listen, and we've talked about this over the course of the season, right? Defenses now in the NFL need to be opportunistic over necessarily being stout shutdown defenses, and that's what the, the Dallas Cowboys have a lot of. We'll get into a little more details later uh, because coming into this game, as you say, off of a victory for the New York football Giants, it's worth noting that yesterday the two biggest names to come up on this injury report because we know everyone's progressing back, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, going to see how they look over the remainder of today and tomorrow, you know, getting into the weekend for the game. 
Uh, but you have Andrew Thomas, who's been playing incredible football, as we know, for, for Big Blue at the left tackle spot. He was seen with a noticeable limp, dealing with a foot injury of some kind. Worth monitoring, right? And then Leonard Williams also looked like he was dealing with a little bit of a knee issue, though far less concerning or severe, I think, from his standpoint. Don't, wouldn't anticipate anything less than him playing. I don't anticipate Andrew Thomas not playing, but for a guy that we know who played through injuries in his rookie season as well, are you a little bit concerned given how how strong his play has looked and how much uh, time we spent just really singing the praises of the offensive line for having five guys playing 100% of the reps? Yeah, it's a little concerning about Thomas. It, uh, you know, from what I've been hearing, it doesn't seem like he's going to miss this game. If he did, that would be a huge, huge red flag for the Giants. You probably either have to move Matt Pert in all of a sudden, or you got to slide Nate Solder over to the left side and bring Pert in. Either way, neither of those things sounds ideal, right? Do you, would you? Yeah, and in, in that front, let's just say, like in in the version where Andrew Thomas couldn't go uh, in this game, the speculation was you probably the first thing would probably be just to put Matt Pert in. Um, does that make sense to you? Because in my mind, we know that Matt Pert lost his starting job at the right tackle. But what you would would like about it is. Hernandez and Solder have been working together on the right side. Again, we, we talked about continuity and feeling like let's try to get these guys locked into their positions. It seems like it'd be less disruptive to put in Matt Pert at the left tackle spot there next to Skur, who we'll get to here in a second, as opposed to flip-flopping two tackles and now saying, <laughs> for whatever Solder has been for us this year, let's get you back over to the spot that we didn't want to have you play for the last two, three seasons. Well, it, it's kind of like the lesser two evils. It's like you move Sol, Solder has been okay. You know, he's been replacement level, somewhat competent. Shout out to me for telling you that this was going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, shout out just, to me. Just you shout don't out to those, me. You don't get those a lot. Where you know, I just want to take a minute here at the top, if I could, guys. Uh, you know, been a long journey, and just uh, someone who's always been in my corner has obviously been me. And I just want to let myself know that no one values me more than me. Just want to give myself my roses, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, so uh, honestly, like I thought that he could be a replacement level tackle or yeah. or guard in, in this league, and he's shown like he hasn't been great, but he's been okay. Like clearly, he's been at least slightly more mediocrely consistent than Matt Pert is. That's the reason why he's out there, right? And and so <laughs> uh, to me, like mediocrely consistent, like you know, there's going to be a couple holding plays. You know, he's. Like, but, but at least he's not, he's not getting Daniel Jones killed. Right. Like that's, that's what we need. Mm -hmm. Matt Pert has been a little bit more inconsistent where like he may just completely whiff on a tackle and all of a sudden Daniel Jones is getting lit up. Yeah. I think, I think what you would do is you, you would put Pert in a, at left tackle, maybe keep uh you know, a tight end, like Kyle Rudolph in a little bit more to chip and, and try to get a little bit more creative there. I mean, I know it's too early for someone like Isaiah Wilson to step in, but it would be interesting to see like, how does how's he been looking? Does anyone even yeah. know? Like, when, when is he going to be able to get back out on the field? Because he's a big boy. We kind of already know what Pert is. It, I, you know, Isaiah hasn't been on the field because of off field stuff, not necessarily because of his play on the field. No, exactly right. I mean, that, that that's just the the come along process for him. If if he's checking the boxes off the field as far as what the Giants want to see from him, it feels like the next step is just him getting into football shape, right, and really being ready to play and get out there on the field. And you would say. If Andrew Thomas can get through this game, if something should come up as we work our way through the season, Isaiah Wilson would obviously be a candidate there. And I, and I think that that's the plan, by the way. You know, there's not going to be any pressure to do it. Y you mentioned, you know, roses at Andy Makowitz's feet here. Solder has been at least consistent to whatever level he's played to. But 
in the big picture, anything over the next three, four, five weeks where if you feel like Isaiah Wilson is coming along, that that's what the Giants goal here is. You know, don't make any mistake about it. They're hoping that they can get a guy who clearly has the talent and has just had a problem keeping his mind focused on football. If he can get there, that's what the goal is, because the last thing we'll say to this before we move into this Dallas matchup is remember. If you took Nate Solder and pulled him off the Giants and sent him around the league, I don't know if he even gets signed anywhere, right? Let alone even as a backup. So I mean, that, that's where we are on this line, and it's not even a knock on, on Solder. I actually give him all the credit in the world for coming into the camp and whatever Matt Pert has or has not shown, you went in and won the job, right? I mean, we, you know, splitting hairs here, Donnie, about whether he won it or Matt Pert lost it. But you've been there and you've shown up and been able to give some level of reliability in front of Daniel Jones and in front of Saquon Barkley. So we'll see how that plays itself out. Uh, as we look into this Dallas matchup, we can just round out the conversation on the offensive line. Matt Skura was in there at left guard. Uh, there was a great article online, and I'll, I'll pull it up here and put the uh, credit in the show notes, that just went through a series of his plays. And it, listen, it was a mixed bag, right? There's some good ones where he really did a nice job of getting his hands in on the player. They said that the pass-offs between uh, Andrew Thomas and Skirl were really nice in terms of shifting over the assignment and then allowing uh, Thomas to get out on the edge and protect against the blind side there. And then there were some ones where exotic stunts got a little bit tricky there for him. But this is a veteran player that at least has been around the NFL, right? He's played, I think it's only like over 3,000 reps in the NFL. He knows how to do it. Now it's just a matter of some of those intricacies and communication and like that. So as we get into this Dallas game, are you, let's assume the health of Andrew Thomas, are you as confident in this line as you've been probably since the start of the season? Yeah, uh, easily. I mean, the fact that they didn't give up a single sack to the saints last week shows that like when this team comes together as, as one cohesive offensive line unit, they can, they can perform above expectations. And, and Adam, you know, the thing for me that really sticks out is, you know, Daniel Jones gets all the praise this week, NFC, you know, player of the week, offensive player of the week. People are starting to notice like, Hey, he's not the butt of all jokes anymore. He's actually like a pretty decent quarterback. And like, you know, you have guys like Dan Orlovsky that break down the whole film. And he's like, man, this guy. Wait, can, can I tell you, yeah. Can I tell you, man, like one of the things that, that you and I are never going to fake knowing about, they were showing the play uh, with Saquon Barkley, right. Going up the sideline. And there's some of the subtleties you and I always like the one thing we talk about is like, Oh, is Daniel Jones working through the progressions, right? Is he, is he checking those boxes? But Orlovsky did such a great job about back foot placement. And what that indicates to a defense and how that's very intentional from Daniel Jones to get a cornerback to say, okay, I'm going to keep my eyes in the backfield. I'm going to sit myself down like I think it's going to be the out route to the tight end. And then, boom, it opens up that little over-the-top pass to, uh, to Saquon Barkley for that big touchdown there. Like, those are things that... I'm not going to know at the naked eye and watching the game, but I find that fascinating in terms of the progression of Daniel Jones because... We can tell on a game-to-game, week-to-week basis that he looks better and he's playing better and we see the throws, but those are the the, the subtleties that I, I, like I said, I'm not going to notice, oh, he put the weight on his back foot and that tells a thousand things to the defense to misguide them so that it opens up these opportunities, something that maybe he wasn't doing successfully last year, which is why defenses and you know, linebackers, cornerbacks were able to stay more singularly focused on where these routes were going to go. Yeah. Dan Orlovsky has been doing a great job breaking that down. Like I said, a lot of people coming in, uh, in favor of Daniel Jones high on him. We know the schedule gets difficult upcoming for the giants. Well, I'm sure everyone's going to come back to earth and say, this guy stinks again. We just got to kind of ride this out, but Adam, right. 
Talk me through Sunday, 425, your second favorite team in the league, the Dallas Cowboys. There's no reason, I don't think there's any reason to do that. That's just insulting. Um, listen, this is a big matchup, right? We understand kind of where the division where the division is right now. Dallas Cowboys have been the only team in the division that has made any real case that, hey, we are a quality team. We're capable of having an impact on both sides of the ball. Obviously, Dak Prescott playing two top five quarterback in the league, certainly so far this year. It's an interesting matchup. I was, I was looking at a couple of the things coming into it where the Gi uh, the uh, Dallas Cowboys, excuse me, and all of its opponents have gone over the current 52-point total for the over-under in three of the four games this season so far. And the Giants have also gone over the 52-point mark in just one opportunity this season. And we know the Giants have been kind of up and down here. So, you know, we said this coming out of the Saints game, took into overtime to get to 27 points. But given all the firepower on Dallas, the, the first thing we're talking about is here, can you continue to be consistent offensively because you're going to have to run with this team? You know, you're not looking at the defensive side of the ball and saying, hey, shut down Dak Prescott. And by doing that, what I mean is shut down two or three quality receivers and two quality running backs when you add in Pollard there, right? Like there's too much talent there to think that you're just going to shut these guys down, even like what you saw against the saints. That's not the same saints team that we're used to. So scoring that's the, that, that is the first phase of this. And I'll be interested to get your initial take on it because I was also reading some interesting things coming out of last week and where maybe the New York football giants need to shift their focus on the offensive side. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. So my key to the game and all this, and it's not going to sound, it's not going to sound very uh, deep into the analytics, but for me, it's literally the turnover battle. And the reason why I say that is twofold. One, even though it's the narrative out there that Daniel Jones is just like a turnover machine, like look at the turnovers that he's had this year. One, he was trying to make a play inside the red zone, diving to try to get like a first down. He fumbles the ball. That was bad. But like the other one was the Hail Mary at the end of the half that gets intercepted at the Saints game. He's not the turnover machine that everyone thinks he is. However, that's also because the offensive line has been keeping him upright. Like you look at, look at the saints game. The reason why he's not fumbling the ball is because he's not getting destroyed on his blind side after, after a three-step drop, right? Like mm -hmm. the Cowboys, on the other hand, their defense has looked better because they've been opportunistic. Like look, Dallas's yeah. defense has still given up a bunch of points. Like let's not confuse anything here. They gave up over 30 to the Buccaneers. You know, they gave up 21 to the Eagles. They gave up 28 to the Panthers. They're just taking advantage of turnovers. They're plus seven in the turnover battle, and that's giving the ball back to a, a very, very potent offense yeah. that Dallas has. So for me, Adam, it's all about turnovers and protecting Daniel Jones. I don't see Daniel Jones making the inexplicable throws that people think that he does in, in, in situations. He's not going to fumble the ball if we give him some protection. So for me, it's how do we eliminate all of those situations where Daniel Jones would turn the ball over? Yeah, and let, so let's start on that offensive side there with Daniel Jones and, and the point that kind of came out of this past week. We saw a different type of dynamic in the offense, and that's not just about what Daniel Jones was doing, and it's not looking past Kenny Galladay and a very strong 100-yard-plus, 116-yard performance from him or getting Saquon Barkley the ball in different ways like that touchdown that we just talked about. Um, a lot of the sentiment is that Kadarius Toney, rookie, who had a little breakout game, obviously, for himself, and then also John Ross, who finally got a chance to get out there on the field. 
that this is kind of the shift that this offense needs to take, that the offense should be centered around a Kadarius Tony and even a John Ross just because of his straight line blazing speed, which is a tip of the cap to you as far as your your take on him when the Giants brought him in this offseason. Do you think that that needs to be the way the Giants try to keep this thing going, right? Rather than the criticisms, rightfully so, Jason Garrett a little bit plotting at times, trying to bang on this door on the offensive side of the ball and coming up short, having a lot of three and out, quick series, maybe not the most creative play calling. But if you use quick receivers, if you use dynamic playmakers after the catch, all of that can then set up very easy, what felt like a very comfortable 116 yards for Kenny Galladay, where the byproduct of, of all these dynamic playmakers is it's going to be hard to do more than put a one-on-one -on -one matchup in other places or cover Saquon Barkley coming out of the backfield. Well, see, here's the tough thing. So Giants Twitter and, and a lot of different people are basically saying like, oh, Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard might have a chance to play. People are like, Keep them on the bench. Keep them on the bench. We, we love what that. we see. I don't go that but, far, my friends. Right. But but people are saying this, like, all of a sudden, those guys aren't aren't valuable contributors to this team. Very right? quickly, do you think that – I know you like John Ross. Do you think that just because he caught that deep touchdown and Darius Slayton dropped a deep touchdown, that suddenly it's like, that's it. Darius Slayton, you are now fifth on the depth chart. Because that, that's where I think Twitter has gone a lot, especially around Darius Slayton, where they've been waiting to be able to jump on him once they saw it from somewhere else. It's it's a combination of that, and it's also the what have you done for me lately. It feels yeah. like Slayton came onto the scene, emerged, looked great. It feels like um, you know he's been dinged up a little bit. He's, he's dropped a couple of balls, you know, specifically the one in the end zone against against the Washington football team. Yeah, John Ross has three catches, and now everyone's saying John Ross should be the focal point of the New York Giants yeah. offense. You're like, hold the phone, like hold that on a Colin second. Johnson, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Colin Johnson was just there. People were like, let's showcase Colin Johnson. It's like, no, this is not. Like, let's not get out, you know over our skis here. I, I do. So I personally think that it needs to be centered around two players, and that's Berkeley and Kenny Galladay. Like, Kenny Galladay is the engine that makes this wide receiving core go. And people like the crazy plays that Kadarius Tony makes, but like, he's getting those dump passes on third and 16. You can't be relying on Kadarius Tony to run all over the field like he's like he's uh, trying trying to play Frogger and avoid all these different cars in, in the road, like to pick up first downs, the guy that's getting you the tough yards is Saquon Barkley trying to, trying to make, make some shots knowing that the offensive line isn't good in run blocking right now. It's Kenny Galladay going over the middle and in traffic, grabbing a seven yard catch. Those are the things that we need to continue to focus on. We can't be relying on one pass to John Ross to, to hit for a touchdown. Now it's, it's great when it happens and it's great when Kadarius Tony flashes these skills, but all those situations were were one-offs that I think we should pump the brakes a little bit in saying, like, John Ross needs to be the focal point. No, give Kenny Galladay 12 targets. Make sure that he's the guy moving the chains. Well, see, so, and I think that, so, the the John Ross piece of it, I think I'm 100% in agreement with you that it, that's just a catch or not a catch, right? If Slayton makes the catch, then you feel like, oh, well, that's what we should be doing more of. Likewise with John Ross, what if you come back to him and it's good coverage and it gets batted down and it's not a completion, right? What does it cost you in the overall? Hitting big home runs is great, but it's not the easiest thing to be consistent with. I think on the on the Kadarius Tony side of things, I, I do when it's third and, and forever and he ends up making that play, it's great. I, I really look at the totality of what he gave you, right? Six, seven catches, almost 80 yards. Even if you take away that big third down play, still did a lot of nice things for you underneath. And almost to your point, 
If you can get Sterling Shepard, that'd be the big piece to me, even beyond Darius Slate. I want everybody available, and I think everybody can make plays. But all of a sudden, if you have another out of the slot, moving him around the formation, quick, in tight spaces kind of player, it does afford you the ability, as we look at this matchup with the, this is all relative to the Cowboys here, This th that's a good way to keep a defense on its heels, right? To keep those linebackers guessing about where this ball is going and keep them a few extra yards off the line of scrimmage to allow Saquon Barkley to be explosive, right? To maybe force them to bring a safety down in the box and open up some of those over-the-top over opportunities because as we get into some key matchups here, on the defensive side of the ball to me, I don't know where we, we said we were both going to be on that side as far as a key matchup in this game. To me, there's a guy over there that has five interceptions in the first four games of the season, right? And that's, and that's Trayvon Diggs. He's a very dangerous corner. You mentioned that idea of Daniel Jones has done a very nice job. He's not the turnover machine we've known, but... It's it's only it's only on a game to game basis that things can turn and I and I think back to the Saints matchup where they have a weak secondary you were able to do a lot of things to manipulate them and open up very easy looks and opportunities and that's that's good it's credit to everybody across the board but the Cowboys are athletic on that side of the ball and if you're throwing those deep routes and you have a six two corner that's going to be an interesting matchup there potentially against Kenny Galladay. Those are physical players. They're big enough. They can be there in tight windows. And I think it's going to come down to making sure that those reads and those looks and the, and the opportunities you're trying to set up, that you're smart and selective with it because there is going to be a player or two here where it's going to be about, is Kenny Galladay winning that difficult matchup, which I think he can, or is Diggs stepping through for a monster interception or getting to that linebacking core? But I don't want to step on what may be one of your key takeaways from this defensive side. Well, I'm actually going to pivot because you hey, brought up something that I that I uh, that I think is really fascinating. Is we know that Evan Ingram has not looked great for the Giants. We understand that. We know that Kyle Rudolph looked very athletic or explosive. But he'll catch you know certain balls when, when you need him to. I, I think it's really interesting to think about what if the Giants go four wide and you have Kadarius Tony on one side and you have Sterling Shepard on the other, you have John Ross out wide and you have Kenny Galladay. What, what I think that does, and you look at the pass rush that the Cowboys have, you look at, they create pressure that creates all these turnovers. It's like, can Micah Parsons rut, you just pin his ears back and go right to Daniel Jones? If you know that he vacates a spot and you could just dump it for three yards to Kadarius Tony. Now you got Kadarius Tony four yards out in space yeah, with, yeah. with daylight or Sterling Shepard does a quick curl route. Like, and, and you're pulling Vander Esch or Keanu Neal over to that side. It feels like it may diffuse the pass rush and the explosiveness to create those turnovers. If we go four wide or we create that extra matchup that I think if Shepard comes back, he would bring. Oh no, good. No. I, when you first said Evan Ingram, I was like, please don't tell me that you're going to tell me that Evan Ingram is the, is the key to unlocking this, the, the, you know, this matchup this week, no, but four I, wide receiver, four wide receiver yeah. wide and Tony and Shepard are on the inside. And then you have Ross, the burner and you have yep. Kenny Galladay, the possession guy. It's like that to me creates matchup nightmares for oh, of course. Dallas defense. And think about what it does potentially for, for Saquon Barkley out of the backfield as well, right? Like spread these guys out. And if you, depending on the route tree combinations that you're running, all of a sudden the middle of the field becomes very open and you'd be saying, okay, we're thinking we want to get away from Parsons being able to cover Saquon Barkley in space. 
What if we can get Vander Esch on him? I'm going to like that matchup coming out of the backfield and then saying, Saquon Barkley, it's your choice. You taking this thing inside over the middle or are you running a little out route into space, right? So that, that I think you're 100% right. Like, unlike other games and other matchups, there is this world where it's right out of the gates. Spread this defense out create a lot of open areas for every single matchup to be able to operate and then force and ask the questions of the secondary and of those safeties on the Cowboys to say, are you going to try to go over and double team these matchups? That's where the middle of the field becomes open for one of the burners or for a running back out of the backfield. If you're going to back off because of the deep threat and you hit a couple of those early in the game, now things become a little bit easier for this offensive line in front of Saquon Barkley to say, okay, now go get us a handful of those chunk plays. We have seen Saquon. He, he's starting to build up here, right? It looks like he's getting closer and closer to full strength. If you can get to that point, now you have the balance, right? And, and it doesn't matter what point of the NFL you're in, modern era, 20 years ago, et cetera. At some point, you just want to know that you can lean on either phase of the game for a chunk of yards. And, and that's still probably the wrinkle here, right? Because if you if you go back and say big touchdown play to Saquon Barkley, the rushing attack still wasn't there. Good rush defense for the, the New Orleans Saints, but you do want to have this balance, and that's the next phase of it. And when you play a team like Dallas with the way they've looked to start the season, I think balance is going to be crucial, at least for a couple of series here and there throughout the game. And then it's about the big plays and hitting them. Well. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, Adam, that we have decided to take 30 minutes and, and avoid. And that is that there is a completely other side of the ball that we need to figure out. And that is that. the Dallas offense versus the Giants defense. Now, this is a Dallas offense fourth in the league in points per game, fourth yeah. in the league, which I don't know. Is that good if you're next to Arizona, Kansas City, Buffalo, Dallas, and Tampa Bay are the top sure. five teams in terms of scoring. They're Couple averaging 31. Super Bowl. Sure. Yeah, you know, just teams that are expected to win it all. Um, yeah. You know, they're they're averaging 31 and a half points per game. They look like they've got a little bit of a balance now between um, the two-headed monster run game. You got Dak feeling confident, looking strong. They got three <laughs> great wide receivers. But Adam, yeah. tell the listeners why Giants defense, who has looked like they've struggled all year, Going up against this top five offense, why they're going to limit Dallas to under 20 points in this game. Tell tell us why that's going to happen. Oh, they're not going to. So you, you can go ahead and just push that right out of your mind. And that doesn't that, that doesn't mean they can't be effective. But like I, I you cannot go into this game thinking that, again, just like last week. If you think you're going to hold the Saint uh, the the Cowboys like you did the Saints to 21 points it's probably not going to happen. Now, the one thing you can carry over from last week's game script is be opportunistic. Now, the Cowboys aren't going to run out of backup. You know, Danucci's not coming in to fling a deep ball down the field. But if there's a chance for a turnover, you have to make it, right? And flip that field position, shut down a drive. The interesting thing to me is, when you look inside the stats here, Dak Prescott's completing 75% of his passes through four games, right? 100 for 133. I mean, the, dude, the dude's been on point, right? And he's gone for 10 touchdowns, just two interceptions. He's done a nice job protecting the football. To me, and it's unfortunate without Blake Martinez, but phase one of this thing is going to be, can you stop Ezekiel Elliott? And the reason why I say it is because the receivers are the receivers. The matchups are the matchups. And if you look at the way the Giants have approached defense this year, it's going to be about that Soft shell defense, covering your areas of the field, trying to, again, we saw this better last week than the weeks prior. Just stay tight with your with your coverage. 
and knock away those passes when the opportunities come. We'll get into the back end of this defense, but Tay Crowder, Reggie Ragland, Lorenzo Carter, right? Like Aziz Ojolari, and then the big boys up front. You have to find a way because Ezekiel Elliott is the opposite of Saquon Barkley. He's willing to stay between the tackles and be a bull over and over and over again. You have to find a way to keep those first and second down runs at least to one, two yards early in this game. And then just get yourself to a third and long, right? Give yourself an opportunity where you know Dak Prescott has to drop back and throw that ball. And then you take your chances and you live with the results. But making this team somewhat one-dimensional to start, you have to take something away from them. Because if you start with Elliott being able to run the ball for three, four, five yards a carry, don't even forget, Pollard can just come in there and be that little receiving weapon, right? He can be dynamic as well. They have so many weapons there. Pick your poison. And you're not going to shut down Dak all game long, but you can shut down Zeke, who is certainly not the running back he once was, but he's still dynamic. He's still dangerous. And I think he can still be a tempo setter for them in this one. I could not agree with you more on your take and your assessment of this game. And and it's, it's simple. Zeke is the best running back at falling forward on runs. Like I've never seen anyone quite like him. Like maybe Derek Henry is very similar, but like, He'll get tackled. He fall forward. He throws guys out of the way and just keeps, right. Well, keeps going yeah, the end zone. yeah. Feels it feels a little different with him. <laughs> but but like Zeke will get contacted at the line of scrimmage, and you're like, got him. And then like he just falls forward for two and a half, three yards, and you're like, wait, it's second and seven. Like a play that we had the whole time got them three yards and, and kept kept the chains moving. Like he is tremendous at that. And and to your point, if he if he can continue to run, it leaves the Giants off balance. You know, on their heels. You know, because Dak Prescott can throw that deep ball. He can throw it over the middle. Um, you know, Dalton Schultz has looked good, good at, at tight end. Like they have mm-hmm. all the, these different weapons. If you don't know what's going to happen and play action is working for Dak, this defense is going to get roasted. Like they, they've shown, they've beat up every defense that they played so far. That's why they're top five in the league on offense. You're exactly right. While having Dak have the ball in his hands doesn't seem you'd be like, you're crazy. That doesn't make him a whole lot of sense. But, but at least the defense and the secondary can know when passing plays are coming. We can dial up blitz schemes to maybe get to Dak Prescott to make him uncomfortable. Give me those third and nines as opposed to third and ones where it's like the defense has no idea. You have to protect against the run and the pass. So for me, you, you're spot on on this one. Their hat, like if, if Ezekiel Elliott's averaging four, four and a half yards a carry, this is going to be a very long day in Dallas. And by the way, just throw in there, 17 rushes for Dak Prescott over the first four games of the season. He has two fumbles. He's only averaging three yards per carry when he chooses to pull it down and run. We know the injury is coming back off of. That's an opportunity there as well. That's when you look at Lorenzo Carter and Aziz Ojolari and say, hey, once we've if we've accomplished the goal of forcing it into his hands on some third and longs and he's rolling around or you can condense that pocket a little bit. Get your hands in there. Be active because I think Dak wants to get himself back to that place where the legs are a real threat, and I don't know if he's quite there. I feel like when we see him later in the season again, it could be a whole different dynamic. But right now, it's not fully there just yet. So try to be active and maybe end up getting a strip on that side of the ball as well. The little footnote I'll throw in, too, when you talk about the wide receivers for the Dallas Cowboys, just looking at it, we know that CeeDee Lamb is the home run hitter. 32 targets, 20 catches. 22 catches on 29 for Cooper Schultz, who you just mentioned 23 targets, 20 catches like that's Mr. Reliable. And that's one area where theoretically you feel better about the idea of we can control that type of tight end better than the dynamic 
what we all wish Evan Ingram was, right? This isn't a Kelsey. This isn't, you know, Andrews for Baltimore. This is a guy that's going to be the safety valve piece. And in some ways, you'd probably take, yeah, listen, give 10 catches to the kid, right? <laughs> let, let him get you five or six, seven, eight yards a, a, a catch here and mitigate the number of opportunities that you look on the outside for this team. That being the case, though, my friend, run us through. Where's the line here? What do the points look like? And let's get into this little thing we call a prediction. Yeah, so uh, right now, the line is Dallas is favored by a touchdown. So Dallas is favored by seven. Giants on the road, 425 start in Dallas. The over-under on the game opened at 49 and a half. It is sure. already skyrocketed to 52. Yeah, And it, it seems like it might even go up further. What are your initial thoughts with, with the line and the over-under? Well, like we said, right? I mean, you talked at the top, or you mentioned you're along the way. Hold The reason why the Giants are holding the 20. No, it's not going to be the case. You go back to that game against the Saints, took to overtime, but even right there, you're talking about 49 points in a game where the Giants' offense wasn't necessarily turning on all cylinders early in the game, and we know what the Saints are. I, I, at this point, man, if you're not taking the over in this one, I think you're making a mistake, like, you know, shy of, and this could happen on either side, by the way, the Giants technically have the talent defensively to shut some things down for a spell. And depending on the health of Andrew Thomas, right, and whether or not you have a full complement of weapons on the offensive side, there's dangerous players here. We didn't get into a lot of guys on the defensive side for Dallas, but the linebacking core in and of itself is dynamic and athletic and can do a lot of things for you. But I have to think the over is the answer here. If you're just going straight on it, we'll get into, you know, I want to let you go first on the full-blown prediction, but I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I, this is the kind of thing we've seen from these two teams. Even when the Giants have been bad over the last couple of years, they still have been able to put up points against Dallas. It's a better defense, but I think it's going to be in that same kind of thread here. So the, the biggest problem that I have in, in picturing how this game will play out is the fact that there's one known commodity in all this, and that's, I think the Dallas offense is really good and that yes. they can put up points. I think the defense has shown signs that they can be serviceable, but then give up points. You know, they're giving up, you know, 25 to 30 points a game in most games, you know, except for the saints game. It feels like Dallas getting to 28 or 30 points is a foregone conclusion. Like that's what, I mean, to your point, like talking about the over. So yeah. So what we instinctively do is we go and say, well, how are the Giants going to win this game? The only way they can win is if they can them, which means the over is good. Whereas, like, is it more likely the Giants put up 35 points or the Giants put up 17 points? Like, uh, it was was last week, you know, it took overtime and two scores in, in, in the last seven minutes and overtime to get to the score, you know, to get to the high 20s like the Giants did. I, I don't know, like, do you think the Giants offense can go toe to toe with Dallas? That, that's the interesting thing, man, right? A lot of positive energy coming out of last week's game. But when you look back, you kind of look over the first four, it's up and down. It's back and forth week to week. Now, the Kadarius Tony element, I think, is real, right? The John Ross element, I think, is real. Like, we, we don't know yet. It's a one game sample size and almost in some ways like a two quarter sample size about what this offense could be capable of. I think that they've turned the corner here. I think that Daniel Jones has turned the corner here. And I think that this offense is finally to the place where health and everything else is affording them the ability to use all the weapons that they have there. So yeah, I think they're capable of it. And I'm not, this isn't to throw uh, any shade your way, but I, I know. And listen, last week you were, 
you were dangerously close to being accurate on your prediction until until things got late in that one in the Giants. Really, up until that seven minute mark in the fourth quarter, Andy was going to totally crush his prediction on on that game. I think you had it at twenty one ten, right? Yep. That's, you you, yeah, you were spot on. The game script had gone according to uh, to Andy. And, and listen, I went with, I, I think it was 24-17 or something in that range. So we, I came pretty close on it. I felt good about it. I think that the Giants will start hotter and faster on the offensive side of the ball, and it will be very much a back-and-forth battle. So, yeah, if it's going to be an arms race, I, the Giants are capable of it. Obviously, you'd be if you're a betting man, you'd say, who's more likely to be explosive offensively? The Dallas Cowboys. But the Giants are capable of it. I think it's just that because they don't have this track record yet, but all the weapons are in place, all the reasons to think they can do it are there. And by the way, last little caveat, Daniel Jones' legs. Like, don't forget, he didn't have to use him a lot this last game. We know what he did the week prior. Do not dismiss Daniel Jones wanting, needing, and really having to go and make some plays with his legs to keep them ahead of the chains and sometimes maybe bail this offense out, avoiding a three and out, by scampering for eight to 10 yards and picking up key first downs here. So I'm going with confidence. You get the first prediction here. I went first last week. Hit me with it. What happens here in Dallas? Have you turned the corner on the New York football giants? So, you know, I always think about what the betting public likes and where, where trends are going on things. You know, you look at last week, Tom Brady going back to to new England, all of the casual fans and casual betters, all bet the Buccaneers. They're like, they're going to go in there and win by 100. And the line didn't move because all of the Sharps in Vegas decided to lay a bunch of money on the Pats, and they ended up cashing. Right now, if you told me what is the betting public going to do in this game, I would immediately say that they're going to take Dallas, and they're going to take the over. And they're going to say Dallas is going to score 100 points, and they're going to win the game by 20. Yeah. I, I am... I am excited about where the Giants team is going. Um, I think I think that they've shown to be competitive. They could very easily be three and one, as we talked about before. I my I biggest concern, my biggest concern is this Giants offense reverting back to yeah. some of the uncreative stuff. If we have Darius Slayton back, if we have Sterling Shepard, and we have Jason Garrett going back to like his conservative, what he likes that makes him feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And so that that's my biggest challenge. Is I don't think the Giants will be able to score enough points. I think the defense will play a little bit better than people expect. I think the offense will manufacture some points, but just won't be as creative as they looked against the Saints. So I would take the under and the Giants in terms of the points, but I have Dallas beating the Giants 27 to 24. Listen, it's reasonable, right? You're allow you're allowing space for the Giants to still be successful and look good on the offensive side of the ball, and ultimately just saying this is a dynamic team on the other side, and it's going to be a hard one to get through. Um, I'm not shocked by that. I think uh, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with positivity here, man. I'm going to keep trying to ride this wave. It's a dangerous one it. to dance with, but um, for that reason, I think you know the one thing you said though was the idea of saying the points. Like that over under right now is predicated on, I think the script that you're talking to of the, the Cowboys blowing this one out a little bit, right? They're going to lay it on thick and maybe the giants only get to 17 It's a 35, 17 game because it just gets away from them in a hurry. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say, it's not going to be perfect. The giants are going to settle for some field goals as opposed to touchdowns, but they're going to ratchet those points up. I think you're going to see a lot of big plays on both sides of this ball for stretches. 34, 31 New York football giants in a high scoring affair. Let's look for that defense to give up 
but also make a couple of key plays for us. And inside of all of this, as it is with every NFL team, Daniel Jones, front and center. He needs to be the one that makes all the right plays and sometimes puts it on his shoulders and says, this one, this drive, I'm going to show you why I'm ready to start approaching the idea of being among one of those top quarterbacks in the NFL. Going to have to put more touchdowns up, though, if you want to get there. That, my Adam, friends. Yeah. Adam, I, lo- I love the prediction. On, right? uh, if that happens, our, our Sunday is good. OGP listeners are excited, and that makes the Monday show even more electric. I mean, really? come on. We've got a very difficult stretch of games here. Let's, let's lock this one in. That keeps us right in the mix. That puts us right back in the driver's seat for this division, for exciting games all along the way here. So listen, I, I trend positive. That's my nature, especially after, by the way, New York Yankees talk about laying an egg. Anywho, Ooh. let's uh, go ahead and remind the listeners that you can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. You can obviously watch us on YouTube doing the thing all the week long. This has been a, a very juicy, jam-packed episode full thick as they say in the business i think i'm not really sure but as we head into a weekend and we look for giants to get healthy and to put up big points against a division opponent in the dallas cowboys andy makowitz wants needs and nay demands the people know as always let's go big blue